Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of the Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9.30 and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this. Turn up the volume and let's go. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name's Tyler, and today I want to give you a message called Courage to Take the Test. All right? Stay with me. Courage to Take the Test. I have been known for my tenacity and amazing personality, not my scholastic achievements. I have a degree. C's get degrees. I've never been what you would call a great student. I was always this large, and so if somebody reminded the teacher of a test, I would then do my best to either stuff them in a locker or deride them for doing so, because I don't like tests. Can I have an amen to some folks who don't like the tests back in the school? Now, in second grade in Mr. Lichty's class, that's kind of an unfortunate name looking back, Mr. Lichty was a Mennonite missionary to South America who taught my second grade class. And we had something called Math Bowl or whatever it was, and they had everybody in the class take a test to place them in their level of achievement regarding this math test. You had the blue group, which were the best. You had the yellow group, which were the average, and you had the red group, which were the worst. And I was four from the bottom in the red group after taking the test. That was a little bit humiliating. And so, that visual representation of my lack of scholastic achievement caused something to be motivated in the young men of God's heart. Oh, you're making me work for it. Northside, they're making me work for it. But I'm booted, spurred, and ready to ride. Come on, somebody. And so I begin to look at that and say, I am not designed by God to be in the red group. I'm going to get myself over to the blue group. And one of the things they did was, after the fact, you then were able to challenge other students to a math bowl, and they would give you a competition, like where you would be lined up, the kid would stand in the hallway, they'd flash math problems on the screen, you'd answer them in real time, and if you could answer them in real time, you would win, and then you take that person's position. And you could climb from the red group to the yellow group to the blue group. Now, I have what you might call adult pattern ADHD. It's like baldness, but a lot more problematic. But when the lights come on and the pressure's on, I'm like that squirrel in over the hedge, and everything just kind of slows down for Pastex. Anybody seen Over the Hedge? The little squirrel drank the energy drink and everything slowed down. And so you could challenge students ahead of you, only two steps ahead of you. And so I just decided, you know what? I'm already number four in the red, four from the bottom in the red group. I'm challenging all these suckers. 
and let's see what happens. And so I began to challenge all my classmates week after week, day after day, class after class, hour after hour, minute by minute. I began to challenge these classmates and your boy caused these kids who were good test takers to get behind me as I began to move through the red group, through the yellow group. Now I lost a few in the yellow group, but I kept challenging two ahead of me. Yellow group challenge, yellow. And your boy got into the blue group. I was seven from the top when the math bowl ended. But if they wouldn't have ended it, I would have found a way to get to the top of that heap because a second grade unmedicated ADHD kid can accomplish a lot when you got nothing to lose. Hey, you may have been born in the red section. God wants to move you and help you to be the best version of you in the earth until you get to heaven, you can be. And has that caused you to be angry? Is there something in your spirit that makes you angry when I say that, that God is a blessing God? You're not gonna like heaven much. Because God's greatest purpose in our life is character formation. I'm talking about not salvation. I'm just talking about growing you, okay? It's character formation, conforming you into the image of his son, okay? That's God's greatest desire in your life. Now, when that happens, and as you become more like Jesus, you do suffer adversity and difficulty, but you also open up your life to receive greater blessings from God. Can somebody say amen? And so, say this with me, there is more for your life. You don't have to live in the red section. You can move through the yellow section in the math bowl, all right? Ephesians 3 and 20 says this, and I want you to see motivation and see how God works in us all through this, okay? Now, all glory to God. Let's establish that. No glory for us, all glory to God. Is that fair? That's the heart of a believer, somebody who has been who is in love with Jesus, just give him the glory. I don't deserve any of it. Give it to God, okay? But that God who is deserving of all the glory is able through his mighty power, his mighty power, all glory to him, his mighty power, but all of that works within us. That's exciting, isn't it? To know that the, the God who deserves all glory, the God who is all powerful, works in us to accomplish. So accomplishment is not an, is not. I'm just going to say antithetory, but that's not a word. It's not antithetical. Let's say that. Can I use that word? It's not against working within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So is it fair to say from the scripture that God's plans for your life are bigger than your plans for your life? Is it okay to say that it's all right to put your heart firmly in the hands of our Lord Jesus, our master, the, the, the keeper of our salvation, the one who purchased everything, is it okay to put our heart in his hands and then be okay to ask or think for God to bless and help and strengthen and guide? It's really okay, all right? And then he gets excited about that and he stops for a second and he says, hey, glory to him. You gotta say, now you can't say glory like glory. You gotta say glory with an A-Y on the end of it. You gotta say, glory! Why don't we do that together, church? Northside, will you join with me? Ready? Glory. Let's try it again. From our diaphragm, from our stomachs. Ready? Glory. Did you do it? 
glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. So, shovel that glory to God. Understand he's working in your life to accomplish more than what you might ask or think. We are not seeking human promotion. We are trusting in God for divine promotion. Can I have help with that? I'm not gonna promote me, okay? I'm happy if nobody knows who I am, but I would love for everybody to know who Jesus is. Huh? For real, that's our heart. And so when divine promotion happens in your life, you gotta say, look at God. One of the funny things to do in Bible college when you would preach good if somebody would say, hey, you preached good today, and you really didn't, they're just trying to hype each other up, I would always say, don't thank me, thank God, it was all him. Oh, y'all are making me work today. <laughs> don't thank me, thank God. But God, divine promotion is so much better than, than self-promotion and human promotion. Um, and, and, and you might be able to promote yourself beyond your character, but God never will. He will never promote you beyond your character. You can't, you can't live a life bigger than the life that you lived before him when nobody, nobody sees you but God. And let me just tell you something from my heart. I got a super low tolerance for self-promotion. Super low. Just personally, this is not Jesus speaking or his word. This is just Tyler saying, I got a super low tolerance for self-promotion because I know what divine promotion does and it can't be taken back. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He ain't gonna take it back when God does something. But that potential that God has placed in your heart to accomplish, like Ephesians 2 says, can only come to pass, and that potential that has a shelf life in your life can only come to fulfillment when you pass the test. And God will promote you when you're ready, and he surely doesn't play favorites. And he's not going to give you more until you pass the test of handling little. And you won't step into greater until you pass the test of having lesser. And you won't get to your next until you pass the test of now. Like, like there is going to be some character formation in your life. If you went to Jesus and said, Lord, save me. And I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. And you pray the prayer, Lord, use me. He says, yes, I will, but you're not quite what I need yet. Now, I'll use you, but you've got to grow up. Did one person clap? Because if one person claps, everybody has to clap. That might have been someone swatting a mosquito, but we're going to count it and say somebody clapped. The purpose of testing is to prove that it's ready to use. Anybody else get disappointed and frustrated when you see them running beautiful Ford Mustangs and BMWs and Teslas in the crash test dummy lane and just destroying them? Does that not bother you? It bothers me, I'm thinking, what a waste. Why would you break that beautiful Tesla? So much could be done with it. But that is what happens, and that is what is necessary to prove the worthwhile durability and safety and ability to, 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 to offer proper use of an item. Like somebody's paid to throw your toaster in a bathtub for you. The testing is necessary before the release.
Oh, the man of God is walking in it today. For real. The testing that you're going to walk through, that you're going to go through, is necessary for you to stand up and say, I know that I am able because I've been through some stuff. You go through testing in life to prove whose you are and who you are and what kind of character you have and whether you'll quit and run or how durable you are or how dependable and reliable you are. Somebody has run your washing machine through 20,000 pairs of dirty drawers before you got it. Is it okay to say draws in the house of God? I feel him say, it's okay, son, proceed. But seriously, thank God somebody tested your toaster oven before you tried to make your garlic bread. Thank God somebody tested your toilet before it went through Thanksgiving 2021. Thank God! Somebody tested something before you got it. But the crash test seems so unnecessary and wasteful. Well, let me tell you something about my life and about living for God. Many times the testing looks like demolition, but God's building something. Many times the testing looks like being torn down, but God is getting you ready for mass release. God's getting you ready through his process, through the stress test, through the test. Remember, it can be endured. It's super boring. It's super annoying, but it's only a test. That's what testing feels like sometimes. Anybody else been freaked out when the sirens go off at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday? The tornado sirens here in the Ozarks? Like, oh, oh, it's just a test. Listen, the thing I know about God is this, that when testing comes to grow you, he never says, okay, pay attention. I'm going to test you. No, I've been tested in the rain with a shopping cart in a Walmart parking lot as I'm just trying to get some salt-free butter for my family. And the devil comes and says, don't you feel like you're too important to go walk that buggy back over to the cart corral? And I say, you know what, Lucifer, you're right. I am God's man. I'll just leave that cart right here. And I believe the Lord, just for me, the Lord's looking down and saying, can I trust you with more? Will you take the buggy back to the buggy corral? Or will you listen to Lucifer's sultry lies? Like the test is never announced. But if you're called of God, there's always some kind of test on the table. And it's not... It's not that God is against you, it's that he's growing you. Is a teacher against you because they test you? No, they have confidence in you and they want you to stand. (sighs) Like, how many of you remember in fourth grade the kids that were scared of the fifth grade? And how many of you remember the kids in elementary school who were scared of the middle school? And how many of you remember the middle school kids who were scared of the high school? And the high school kids that were scared of OTC? And then when I went to OTC, and I was like, OTC is just high school with ashtrays. It's not that much more difficult. It's high school with ashtrays in an open campus. You shouldn't be afraid of the next thing. Back to the Bible, James 1.13. 
and remember when you're being tempted. Do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from a God, our Father, who created all things in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shadow. God does not tempt us or try to trip us up. But when temptation comes just from, just from our own evil desires, God will use it and redeem it to grow you. And when you're being tested, and when even temptation comes from within, remember that God is not disinvolved from this process. He can redeem it and use it and help you to grow. I mean, I don't know if you remember the scripture, but over and over again, the Bible refers to us as the clay and God as the potter. Working and forming and molding. Oh, my darling, my love. You're not that saved. You are not that saved. You people are not that saved. He is the potter, and I am the clay. Tyler, he is the potter, and I am the clay. Welcome to the potter's wheel. Welcome. You got to stomp on that thing to get it to spin. Remember in eighth grade math, uh, art class? You got to stomp on that thing, and it spins, and all I could ever make was an ashtray. I could never get that thing to come up good. But have you ever been on the potter's wheel? Have you ever worked on the potter's wheel? It moves slow and it, and it takes time and one little move can, can mess up the whole work. The questions come to your life. Can you handle the testing? Can you handle the potter's wheel? Do you wanna pull yourself off the potter's wheel or will you stay on the potter's wheel and let the spirit of God, the work of God, the will of God form you? I wrote down these questions that I would have asked a young me when I started off serving the Lord Jesus. And here's the questions. Tyler, can you have your emotions ripped out of your soul and keep standing? Tyler, can you handle public ridicule? Tyler, can you handle the scorn of many and yet hold the precious, hold as precious the obedience in your heart to the one who called you? Can you take upon yourself the shame of your savior? Can you be mocked and ridiculed and falsely accused and misunderstood and judged falsely and still love people? Can you watch loved ones walk away and stay standing? Can you look in the face of the darkness that is trying to overtake you and still have joy from God and say, tell hell, I'm still here? Can you lead with a smile while grieving on the inside? Can you be good at leading while bleeding? Can you be full of sorrow and still be full of joy at the same time? Can you hurt so bad that you just want to die and yet keep loving others and being hopeful for the future? Can you smile while people believe lies about you? Can you keep an open heart 
when your open heart has been walked on? Can you keep your praise when your body is full of pain from the stress of holding it all together? Can you smile and show up when your clothes are out of fashion and your bank accounts are empty and you're worried about your family and you look different than the folks that have more than you, can you still be confident in the calling that God has placed upon your life? Can you bite your tongue? Oh, I'm not done. I'm going to walk in this for a second. You're going to get this work today. Can you bite your tongue and not defend or explain yourself when you're being falsely accused and targeted by evil people that nobody knows is evil? Can you love people who have been put under the spell of Satan as they slyly try to dismantle everything you have poured out your life trying to build? Can you keep pure motives when you know the truth and want to tell everyone, but you know it would damage too many to tell the truth? You understand that the, the Holy Spirit is at work in the sorrow and in the suffering. And that same Holy Spirit is constraining you so the weak ones and the young ones aren't confused and turn and lose heart. Can you stay enthusiastic and true to the vision placed in your heart by God when your family won't support you? Can you keep loving when you're accused of being a fake? Can you do your best when nobody is watching? Do you love Jesus more than these? Do you love Jesus more than your reputation? Is faithfulness to God worth your reputation with people? Is faithfulness to God important enough to sacrifice success for? If you'd have asked me all that, I'd have said, well, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready for all that. I'm not sure for sleepless nights and losing my hair and body rashes because of stress. I don't know. This is in the past. It's not right now. Y'all are wonderful. When I got saved, they sang that song, everything gonna be all right. Oh, I got a feeling everything gonna be all right. Hey, 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 I got a feeling. They didn't tell me when, though. <laughs> didn't tell me when. Because in Romans 1, you see the sin of the Gentiles. In Romans 2, you see the sins of the Jews. In Romans 3, you see all have sinned. In Romans 4, you see a beautiful picture of justification. In Romans 5, you have the beauty of the words that says, therefore now being justified. And it gives us peace with God, which is beautiful. To have peace with God. I am saved. I am not at odds. I'm not an enemy of God. I have peace with God. But let me tell you something. In my life, it's taken a lot longer to have the peace of God than to just have peace with God. <laughs> The peace of God will call, are we clapping? My people, you gotta stay on it, we're clapping. When you get the peace of God, you can stand when everything around you feels like it's moving. The peace of God will keep you from feeling like you're not equipped for what's coming your way. And folks, I tell you right now, I know it's not popular to say that you will have trials. I know it's not popular to say you will have tests, but when you have the peace of God, those things don't shake you like they do when you just have peace with God. Peace with God means you're saved. Peace of God means you are a seasoned, faithful disciple. And doesn't, I don't have any quit in me. I don't have any back down in me. 
I don't have any plan B's here. I have the peace of God. And so it may not be all right right now, but my confidence in him and the peace of God in my life says it will be okay because if God be for me, any owls out there that want to say, who, who, that was, I don't even know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> if God be for me, who can be against me? And let me tell you something that I've learned when God isn't working on our circumstances, he's probably working on us. And God wants to put his peace so deeply inside of you that you can rejoice on the journey and not just the destination. I have led my family on family vacations before. It has utilized all of my skills, all of my talents, all of my acumen for leadership has been tested and taken to the brink on family vacations. But I've learned something through my wife's tutelage and instruction and reminding me that it's not just okay to relax when you get everybody safely where they're supposed to go. It's okay to realize I've got my family together. We're all going the same direction. Let's rejoice in the journey. He's still working on me. I know it. I don't always do it, but I know it now. And that's the same way in your life. Sometimes the discipline that God wants to develop in us is to be able to rejoice in the rain, to be able to be thankful without all the answers, to have the maturity, to work with undiminished enthusiasm toward what seems like a limited objective. All of that is what God is working out in your life. Anybody want to grow? Anybody want to be used by God? Anybody want to be able to stand in that evil day? Anybody getting ready for the last days around here? Because there will be many that will depart from the faith. And if you only have peace with God and never the peace of God, what are you going to do when the pressure gets turned up in our land? Like Paul said, I have learned. I have learned to be a base. I've learned to be poor. And he said, I have learned to abound. I have learned to be rich. I have learned the ups and the downs don't change the goodness of God. I have learned, is anybody hearing me today? I have learned that the testing that I have gone through is not more worthy to be exalted than the one that I serve. Like Paul, I have learned. And that's why Paul didn't start out here, but toward the end of his life, he could say with clarity of purpose, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't happen in somebody's life until they have been through some shipwrecks, till they have endured some beatings, till they have gone through some rejections, and they have been at the door of death multiple times like Paul. Then he was able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the process of going to hell and coming back. It's the process of being talked about and walked on and losing things and losing people, but not losing your strength and losing your joy that gives you the ability to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You better give God a praise today because of his faithful self. Do not let environmental change around you change your opinion and heart toward God. The testing will guide you toward a consistent spirit. Not too excited, not too depressed. 
I just got joy. I've got peace. I've got peace from God. It can't get too good to make me forget who gave it, and it can't get too bad for me to forget whose it is. When church is good, I drive home and say, God, it's your church. And when church is bad, I drive home and say, God, it's really your church. When things change around me and the world shifts as I watch it happen, I don't change on the inside because greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. And trials for the believer. The greatest, this is so hard to preach and even harder to live, but trials for the believer must be faced in order to pass the test with the joy of knowing our Savior. And that testing and that joy and that openness to God when our expectations are not being met will lead to patience. And without patience in your life, you are not complete. And the truth of the matter is, nothing in life is immediate. Time has always been anointing and appointing. Anointing happens, but appointing lags behind usually. David was anointed to be king of Israel. He spent a lot of time running for his life, alone and rejected, living in caves and dodging spears from the anointing to the appointing. Can you be chin up, eyebrows up, head up in the face of misery, David? That's what he was being tested with. And patience becomes the test and the strength of your faith. Can you hold on in spite of other people's negative words and response? Can you build strength and resolve that's rooted in Christ? No matter what is happening around me, I believe God. I'll still be standing when circumstances go south around me. That is the test. Now listen, when God moved us here, he supernaturally opened a door that we were praying for. I was on a fishing boat in Homer, Alaska. I met a pastor from Springfield, Missouri. I lived in Florida. And God brought me here. The one city in America I didn't know existed, Springfield, Missouri. God sold my house in one week, one week with a full price offer without a realtor and Everything worked, and I end up here overnight. And I just knew God put me here. It's that knowing that will keep you. And God has done that for people he's called. He let Isaiah see a wheel in the middle of a wheel. He let Moses experience a burning bush. He let Joseph have a dream. He let David be called from the backside of nowhere in rejection to be anointed in front of all his brothers because of the great need that would come later. Because from the time that God gives you the vision until you get to the time of fulfillment, you have to have something to hold on to. Moses could say, well, a, a burning bush. Isaiah could say, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. David could say, I was anointed. Whatever it takes 
to give you staying power. God will give it. But from the appointed time of the vision and the anointing until the time of the appointing, there's going to be tension. And something inside of you has to be able to say when adversity comes, when your kids lose their mind, when your boss has turned you out, when things are not going well, you have to be able to stand flat-footed and declare, I know I heard from God. You know, we're like the bread. I've had to give up bread. That's why I'm getting so thin, thin and slender before you. Just the, and I, I haven't had bread forever. But I went somewhere yesterday where they had gluten-free rolls. Hatolobosha. That <laughs> just came out of me. I wasn't planned. Hot, gluten-free rolls. I took that hot gluten-free roll and I broke it and I blessed it and I ate it. And then I took the other piece and I thanked God for it and I broke it and I blessed it and they had butter and apple, apple butter. I hadn't, had a, I hadn't had a biscuit or a roll in eight months and I ate it. And I started thinking about Jesus and the miracle that he did when he fed the 5,000 with the fishes and loaves and he took what was given to him and he blessed it and he broke it and in the breaking, he multiplied it. If he took the piece and broke it once, it would feed one. But if he took it and broke it twice, it would feed two times. But if he broke it a thousand times, it would feed a thousand. I'm telling you that no matter how many times you've been broken and you've stayed worshiping God, you've stayed trusting in God, you've stayed believing in God, however many times you've been broken is how deeply God can ultimately use your life. And you know why you're going through it? Because just like the bread, you've already been blessed. You were already blessed and the breaking and the multiplying and the work of God. First Peter 4 and 12 from the King James says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Let me tell you something. Every gifted person has haters. I don't feel so negatively about Tom Brady because he's average. I don't like the man because he broke my heart many times when I was a Colts fan. I have none of those same feelings for Zach Wilson. Justin Herbert or Andy Dalton. But I got strong feelings about Tom Brady and his stupid butt chin. <laughs> I love you, Tom. I'm just playing. Listen. People talk about what they know. And if God's going to use you, people are going to talk about you. The child of God looks at trials as character development and doesn't run from them. You can't get over it, around it. You just got to go through it. And it's not wasted. 
There's always a question on the table. I need four minutes. There's always a question on the table. John 6, Jesus is there with the blessing and the breaking, feeding the 5,000. They say, we don't have enough food. And, and then they, and they look at Jesus and, and Jesus, Jesus asks Philip, he says, where can we buy bread to feed these people? In verse six, put verse six on the screen of John six. John six and six says, he was testing Philip for he already knew what he was gonna do. He put your name there. Let's read this out loud and say your name instead of Philip, ready? He was testing, that was meager at best. Let's try it again. He was testing, for he already knew what he was going to do. There's a question on the table of your life, and there is no warning that it's coming, but it's God growing you into the image of his son. What you gonna do? We're gonna talk about some tests, like the test of small things, where God is asking you, can you handle more? Or the, the motivation test, where God asks you, are you doing the right thing for the right reason? Or the credibility test, can others count on you and trust you when you get opportunities? Or the wilderness test, which I really feel that many of you are walking through right now. Are, are you really ready to trust God and make the changes necessary that he would require of you in this dark season? And there's so many more. All of this is because God has more for your life. In closing, I wanna show you this picture of the first picture taken of the Asbury Revival. If you've not read about it, read about it. This is the first photo taken of the Asbury Revival. Now, as you know, hundreds of thousands, I think at this point, people have come through the Asbury College in Kentucky. It's been an outpouring, an awakening of sorts, a revival. The miracles of God have happened and people's hearts have been turned toward him. It's a beautiful thing and it's not stopping there. I believe it's gonna happen through students out throughout our nation this year. This is the first photo of the Asbury Revival. Not even a great photo. It's probably from a flip phone from some Kentuckian up in the balcony. Somebody up there with their track phone from Walmart taking a grainy little picture. But this was the first picture. It was 19 students. When everybody left, they stayed after chapel on Friday, February 8th. And 19 kids sang and prayed and read scripture. Nobody was there to support them. There was not any kind of, you know, nobody had brought out traffic cones to direct the traffic to make it. None of that had happened. And as those 19 people stayed and worshiped God, others heard about it and they joined in throughout the day. Now hundreds of thousands of people have joined in that same space with them. And I want you to know that this is often how God works. Alone, in the quiet. No eyeballs no social media, and the ordinary and the common and the mundane through the still small voice of God. But we can't forget the potency of mustard seed faith just as I'm saying, and I'm trusting you. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.